that by attending this church, you might be sinning against the Lord. And actually, to bring a little bit of clarification, sinning, according to the context of its use in Scripture, is uh, missing the mark. Actually, at the very root of the word is missing the mark. How many of you know that you don't have to miss things a long way off? Like, let's just take if you were firing a bow and you had that round bullseye, you know, that round archery target that, you know, you have that mental picture of. You don't have to miss it by 40 feet to miss the bullseye, to miss the mark. You can be real close and still miss the intended target. And so I want to talk to you about if you're attending this church. I'm going to take you to a passage found in Acts chapter number 2. Now, notice I didn't say a church, this church. This is for us. I'm speaking it as the pastor to this assembly. And I want to share this with you because God's put something in my heart. We're in the second chapter of the book of Acts. And you say, oh, man, I know Pastor Browns will be preaching about Pentecostal power today. So I don't know much about the Bible, but I know that's where it all began. You know, that's where the Holy Spirit was poured out, and they were speaking in other tongues, and there was a witness to the resurrection of Jesus. And Peter stood up, Peter, who had denied the Lord, denied that he even knew him, but now that the Holy Spirit has fallen upon him, he's emboldened, and he stands up, and he preaches to the people right there in the temple area, and, and he preaches the, the resurrection of Jesus, and he preaches that you by wicked hands have taken, and you have crucified him, but God has raised him up and made him Lord of all, and, men, and he's preaching, and he even, he warns them, save yourself from this, this this wicked generation, and the Bible says the hearts of the people, as Peter is preaching, man, their hearts are, are, are wrenching. They're hearing the word of God. Conviction is, is readily present. How I many know we need the power of conviction in our culture today, unlike never before in the history of the United States of America? I'm telling you, conviction is like the wind. I mean, it's hard to, 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 to recognize its origination, but I'll tell you what, you know it when it's not present, because without it, we have the rampant uh, lifestyles that we have, not just in the world, but even in the church today. We need the power of conviction among us. Well, this, this group of men and women that are Israelites that have gathered at the temple in Jerusalem because it's Pentecost, the celebration of the giving of the law, the celebration of the Feast of Weeks, 50 days after Passover, they're there to celebrate the history of Israel and the giving of the law. And this, this uh, powerful experience has happened, and there are eyewitnesses to it. And so Peter has preached, and man, these people's hearts is cut, and they, they cry out and say, what must I do to be saved? And he says, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and, 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 and be baptized, and you'll be saved. And the promise that you've seen poured out here today on us will be to you, to your children, and your children's children, and as many as our Lord God should call. And the Bible tells us that, look at this, 3,000 people are born again that day. Did you see? That's a city being born in a day. A community of believers, and many of you have heard the teaching that contrasts the doctrine of law and grace, that on the day the law was given on Mount Sinai, 3,000 people, I love the way I say Sinai, I just do that for y'all's sake. And so that with that, 3,000 men died on that day, the day the law was given, but the day the first message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is preached. 3,000 are added to the kingdom of God, and 3,000 are saved. I'm grateful to be living in this dispensation of grace that we're in today, aren't you? 
And so, but then, this is where, now you have to think about this. So what's going to happen when 3,000 people that are raised within the the context of Judaism, following the teachings of Moses, following the anticipation of the coming Messiah, now they've learned that the Messiah did come and that he was crucified and that he was buried and he's resurrected. And then what are they going to do? What are you going to do with such of a host? That host had to be assimilated into uh, a growing function, a growing entity called the body of Christ or called the church or called what was known in the Greek, the ecclesia, and it means the called out ones. We use the term often the assembly, thus the assembly of God. And so here's where we pick this up in the uh, 30, or actually, excuse me, the 42nd verse of this particular chapter where all this has taken place. Notice what happened. After that, 3,000 received the word and were baptized in water right there on the steps of the temple where they were bathing uh, in the ritual uh, bathing to go into the temple. The apostles stepped in and used it to baptize these new converts into the, into the sect of the Nazarene as they were originally na- uh, labeled in the early church. Here's what the Bible says. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So I want to just kind of jump in. I want to begin to make this personal to each and every one of us here today. And that is a growth and a maturation of your faith must be initiated by you. We can, do, we, can, we can get a pastor of discipleship. We can arrange classes. We can put out the best curriculum. We can have teaching that you couldn't find that, that would be as equitable as you could find on any uh, television broadcast anywhere. But if you don't set your heart as an individual, that you want to grow in your knowledge of God and your communion with God. You're going to look up, and 20 years from now, you're still going to be an infant in the Lord. The Bible, exhort, Bible warns us, the Bible warns us that at times, at times when we ought to be teachers ourselves, we're still having the need to be taught. So I commend this group of men and women in the first century because they set their heart intently to study. To study, to learn. Now you have to picture what this means. They had the Torah so they could understand a little bit of the coming of the Messiah, the anticipation of the Messiah, but only the apostles were privy to the information that Jesus had shared privately. Thus, the Great Commission, go into all the world and teach them what? To observe all things that I have commanded you. He told the disciples the things that I'm sharing with you, they're not ready to receive it yet. So Jesus invested it into the lives of his disciples that we now call apostles and entrusted them to share it with those that would be won into the kingdom by the preaching of his death on the cross. But let me say this to you today. Every one of us, there's a part of our spiritual maturation that will come organically. There's a part of it that comes by just occasionally attending church but if you only attend church you're missing the mark in your discipleship are y'all catching where I'm going with this now if that's the only point of reference if that's all the word of God that you get in your Christian growth in the course of a week is a 45 minute sermon on Sunday morning come on you're going to grow and become a, or you're, gonna, you're going to grow naturally while your spirit is still immature and your reasoning is still immature. I got a question. 
I'm not going to ask anybody to raise your hand. But, but, I, but, I, but I just wonder, if we were to raise in, how many could say that you've done something outside, outside of just attending church to purposely grow in the knowledge of God? A personal Bible study, a devotion, a, a book by book of the Bible, a daily reading, a group that you're connected with, people that you call that come over to your house and study. I would dare say... I would dare say that it would tilt on the other side that there's the majority of us are not doing those things and the minority of us are doing those things. And I love you enough to say, listen, God wants you to grow. He wants you to grow. you got to continue steadfastly in apostolic doctrine. You have to determine within your heart that you want to hear the Word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And that's not just through the listening ear on a Sunday morning. Hearing is receiving the Word of God in whatever capacity that you receive it. Let's go a little bit far. Are y'all with me out there today? And then it said, and fellowship, partnership. Are you a partner with this assembly? Are you in cooperation? The Word, I've said it before. This is when always we get interested in it. In the original language, it means social intercourse. It means, and you can take that context and say, you know what, there needs to be a deeper communion with your relationship with people in the church other than hi, how are you on Sunday morning. You pass by them, but you just pass by them and that's all you know. If you're out there on an island somewhere trying to grow and trying to be a child of God and you're like the Lone Ranger and occasionally Tonto shows up to help you, I'm telling you, that's not the will of God for your life. The will of God for your life is for you to be directly connected to a local fellowship. You need to be able to call pastors. Pastors have communion and relationship with them. And you need to be interwoven into the lives and the live stream of other people in the fellowship. Your best buddies ought not be the people on your bowling team. Right? I learned this principle when I was a young man. My supervisor in the military said this to me. He said, if you work with the painter, you'll get pain on you. You want to grow, then connect to somebody. Get a hold of somebody. Get involved in somebody's life. Find a way. Have fellowship one with the other. Have a communion. Let's go a little bit farther. We're just going to break this down. We're, I'm just going to toss out just nuggets that you can see that are readily in the Scripture right here that shows how this group of men and women that profess faith in Christ evolved very quickly into they were the functioning body of Christ, the church in Jerusalem. And we'll look at the outcome here in just a moment. Number three is the breaking of bread. Now, that's mentioned uh, twice in this particular passage, the breaking of bread. Commentators are unsure if this is the breaking of bread or uh, as of in the cup of communion that we call the Eucharist, or some call it the Eucharist, or it's the simple covenant meals. That, uh, so either way, we're going to address them. It's actually possible that it was a little bit of both because this is before Pauline... Uh, epistles come forth in the book of Corinthians, Pauline instruction that separated a common meal from the Lord's Supper. It's possible that in the early church, in the very beginning, it was a little bit of both. They came together, they shared a meal, they also shared the cup of blessing as well. It led to error, Paul had to address it later. But the principle is the same, and that is that there is a very intimate setting. I believe that if you and I can see it this way, it is the first application to Holy Communion. 
that it's originally initiated by Jesus as part of the Passover meal. There's, I'm going to have communion tonight. You say, Pastor Brown, I haven't been a part of a communion service. Well, that, you can be. 5 p.m. tonight, after time of prayer, we're going to break the bread and share the cup. We're going to remind ourselves, one with the other, of what He did for us. We're going to put ourselves in remembrance of Him. We're not going to think about tomorrow's activities. We're not going to reflect on yesterday's sorrows. But for a brief moment, collectively, as a group, arm to arm, standing here at the front of this assembly, we're going to hold the bread and the cup. We're going to be reminded of the body and the blood. We're going to be reminded of an old covenant that was being phased out and a new covenant that was being cut in His blood. And we're going to worship God, not through the blood of a bullock or the blood of a goat, but we're going to worship God in thanksgiving today for the sacred, precious, uh, the, the atoning blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross of Calvary. And I'll tell you what, it's a powerful moment when we share communion together. It binds our hearts together in love when we partake of that bread together, his body broken for us. And then he said, notice this, this is very pastoral, I know that, and I'm, but I, I'm all right with that today. I don't have my microphone up here, I don't have to have the organ today. I just, I've got a word that our church family needs to receive today. Because if you're just attending church, if that's it, if that's all you do is attend, you're missing the mark. Number four is prayers. Thank God for the potential that prayer holds. Thank God for the communion of prayer. This passage implies corporate prayer. Now, I know prayer is something that we practice privately. I know that we all pray at different times and seasons, and I know there are times uh, mothers in the morning getting children ready for school and that are taking them to school. They're shatakai mosiin while they're driving. Right? And, and so, so I know that you got to sometimes, the old song said, I got to steal away. I got to steal away and pray. And I know, there, you, you know, Jesus got up and he went to a solitary place and prayed. And there are times and there are places you just got to get alone with God. You need that solitary uh, alone time. I learned from a, uh, speaking with a, a lady in our church that, that told me she gets up at 340 on average every day so she can have alone time with God first. That alone time, that's necessary. Thank God for it. But at the same time, let me tell you, there's still something powerful that is related to corporate prayer. There's still something. The same Jesus that departed and went to a solitary place to pray is also the same Jesus that showed up at the house of God and turned over the money changers' tables. And he also turned over and broke the cages that held the doves and he released the lambs. And he said, you've made my father's house a house of merchandise. But Isaiah the prophet said it would be a house of prayer for all nations. If I could say one thing about our generation today, one of the dying ministries in the church that we have set our heart to, to give life to is the spirit of intercession session. I'm telling you, if we're not careful, listen to me, church family, you can think in days gone by about the old church mothers and even the old church fathers that knew what it was like to intercede on behalf of the kingdom of God. And it is a dying ministry, unfortunately, because we've not empowered and we've not put it in front of you and we've not asked you to do it, but we are unashamed. We're asking you to give up your five o'clock time of sitting in front of the television, changing the channel, changing the channel, changing the channel, to get in your vehicle, drive down here and yoked together with men and women around these altars and to join your voice to collective multitudes of believers around the world and intercede that God would pour out His Spirit upon all the world. God forbid that we ask you that. What a shame on us as pastors. 
to ask the church to give up entertainment for just one hour. No wonder Jesus went to his disciples on the night of his betrayal and said, guys, I just asked you to pray with me for one hour. That's all we're asking. I want to encourage you, if all you're doing is attending church, Oh, Jesus, Lord God, it's a good thing I sold myself out a long time ago. I'll have to borrow a line from a preacher I heard long years ago. Sister Sherry, I don't know where you're at. If you're in the foyer, go start the car and pull it to the side. Make sure that arm bar is unlocked today. Number five, let me move along. Fear, reverence for God. Look at this. Fear came upon all the people, upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. I'll move you along quickly. I won't. Be, I, won't, I won't take the, too long to finish this today, but let me just, just share with you today real quickly what's in my heart. But first of all, I believe in a respect and an esteem for ministry. You've already heard that from my heart today because of their calling and their office. And at the same time, our church should be by faith in pursuit of God's supernatural power. When I read this, I don't marvel that things were done long years ago. I marvel why we're not seeing them done in our generation. Can I say that one more time? When I read that on the screen, I don't just shake and tremble when I see uh, the things that were done by the apostles. I drop my head in sadness and say, if the Spirit of God is still in the earth and we've got the Word of God in our hearts, then why are we not seeing? Right? Why are we not seeing the miracles? We're like Gideon threshing wheat. Come on, in a wine vat and saying, where are the miracles of our forefathers? Where are they? We're the miracles of our Pentecostal generation and our, our, our Pentecostal heritage. Let me tell you today, I believe that God is still in the heart of our Father to empower the local church with supernatural signs and wonders. I still believe in miracles today, don't you, church family? And I believe that as Isaiah said, the arm of the Lord is not strengthened or shortened and His ear is not deafened. God is still able to reach. He's still able to hear. He's still able to respond. The error's on our part. We've not put a demand on His potential. I'm telling you, God is omnipotent. The potential lies with Him. The possibility lies within our heart to believe Him for His potential. If we'll believe Him, then He'll release it. A woman crawled out of the crowd when nobody was being healed, when nobody was receiving any blessing or miracle from Jesus. And they were all thronging about him. But one woman said in her heart, If I'll but touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. And when she made contact, the supernatural power of God flowed out of the body of Jesus. And she was miraculously healed. Maybe we just need one. One person to trust God. I believe that we as a collective fellowship should be in pursuit of these things. Longing for them in the church. Number six. Because of the communion and the fellowship of their faith, look at this. As we go down, there's not but a few more, and I'll move quickly. But I want you to see this. This is from my heart to yours today. There was a, a communion that was expressed among them. In the 44th verse, it says they were together, and they had all things in common. Now, this was not some type of cultish way or sensual way, but it was a community, a communal sharing of resources Rather simply, it was this. If you have a need of an asset in your life to help your life at that time, and I have it. Come on, would y'all go there with me? 
Do, do you believe that this was the expectation and the expectation for God? From God to the church? Think about this, a reward. If you had drove up on our, our building site this summer and you said, man, Pastor, you have a lot of building tools. Well, that's Keith's ladder. That's Randy's saw. That's Shane's hammer. That's Craig's uh, floor tooling kit. Are y'all with me today? And, and I have, I, I, I'm unashamed. I'll ask if I have a need because you receive not because you ask not. Right? If I've got it and you need it, you, you ask me. Come on, somebody. That's the way I want to live life. You're my brothers and sisters. You know, I teased a couple of weeks ago about my kids, and I said this real quickly. I said, you know, about them living in the house. Do y'all remember that? I probably offended some of y'all with that. Oh, well, get over it. But, you know, that's the way we raised our kids. They didn't have to ask. It was a resource. It was there. It was ours. It was collective. It was shared. That's the way we live life. And that's the way, I'm going to tell you, there's a special bond there. Come on, when you know, that means if you know you can count on your brother or sister, not take advantage of them, not, do, not fail to do your part, but if you have a need because you're in communion with one another, you're in fellowship, you unashamedly either offer what you've got or receive what you need. That's the design of God. That's the intent of God. But if all you're doing is attending church, man, I keep coming back to that. If all you're doing is attending, it's hard to find and experience what I'm talking about there. Number seven was a benevolent spirit of giving. A benevolent spirit of giving. Giving not just the sharing of resources, but the giving of resources. Not, notice this, not just the sharing of resources. Yes, I gave those tools back, all except for Randy Saul. I did get, so I shared their resources. I shared in their resources. But then there's a part of the body that's even bigger than that. Sometimes when you're a part of something, you know what, Joe does such a fantastic job of ministering to what we call benevolent people that are not a part of our church, meaning they're in need. They're in need. And we try to tell when we talk to them individually, we say this right here, if you were a part of assembly, it makes giving so much easier, right? If you're a part, matter of fact, sometimes if you're a part of the fellowship, you're a partner in the fellowship, you wouldn't even have had to ask. Somebody would have already discerned the need. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? And so our belief is that giving starts with the tithe and the offering, but also at the same time, it's, it's, we recognize that we give to the Lord, the house of the Lord, we give to missions, we give to benevolence, but through the church, there are times that we just try to give to people in our fellowship that we care about. Is that right? Come on, is that right? Don't you think that produces a healthy congregation, a healthy body of believers? Our giving, our benevolent. Paul said this. He said, he said, let your kindness, let your kindness begin at the house of God. Start right there in giving. So why do I wait? Why do you wait for a program to serve or to give to someone in this assembly? God lays it on your heart, then give. Right, God puts something in your heart, then you give, determined to be a blessing. Look at this. Uh, there's three more, and I'll go over them quickly today. In the, I'll check what time it is. Some of you may be taking medicine. Let me just so I'll know. I got, listen, I'm, I hadn't, I'm, I'm just getting warmed up here. I know this is very pastoral today, but church family, I want our church to be all that we can be. And if all you're doing is attending church, are y'all catching the gist of what I'm meaning by that now? 
How many of you know God's intention is for more than you just to attend? It's a partnership. It's a communion. Look at this. It says, and they sold their possessions, 45th verse, divided them among all that had need, and they continued daily with one accord in the temple. They continued one with the other. Their lives were interwoven with each other. They practiced and they lived life together. Do you live life with this church family? And I'm not talking about just every time here at the church, but I'm talking about uh, uh, out in the community, things that you go and that you're involved in. And yet at the same time, not neglecting the temple. You know, in the, in the, in the original setting, this was the court. It was the large court uh, of, of Israel that they would come together as the body of Christ. Think about this. This was the church in its infant stage. They didn't have their own building. They didn't even have their own facility. There wasn't probably, there wasn't one house large enough where all 3,000 could gather. But where could they gather? They could gavel, gather in the courts of the temple and little pockets they would come together and they were daily in the temple let me say this to you today let me ask you this question do you make assembling together a priority in your life i tell people this it's a you're either habitual in your attendance or you're habitual in your negligence i'm gonna say it again i didn't get any response i want to try it one more time you're either habitual church is a habit you just go because that's just what you do the bible says that jesus went to the synagogue as his custom was you were brought up in the temple you love it the psalmist said this i would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of god come on somebody than to dwell in a tent of unrighteousness in the same passage it says this that i long for i long for as the deer longs for the water so my soul longs for you to dwell in your presence i long for this time i thank Thank God for this time. This is a time that God gives me to walk amongst his church family and give love and receive love. Right? Do you come to this house with a purpose and a vision and a motive every day? If it comes, if, it's, if your only involvement is to get what you can get and get out as quickly as you can, then you're attending church and you're sinning against God. But if you come to this house saying, God, I'm here because I'm an ambassador for you. I love the people in my fellowship. I can't wait to get amongst them, to hug somebody, to love somebody, to strengthen somebody, to worship you, to hear the word of God, to be blessed, to be a blessing. Then you're what God's what uh, you're, you're, you're responding to the cry of the Holy Spirit to be the church, to not just go to church. Man, that's good right there. Number nine, there's ten, and then I close. They broke bread from house to house with gladness. It's very simple. I know I've probably preached from this probably ten times over 23 years of pastoral ministry. And I'm sure I'll do it again in the future because it just sets the pattern. They broke bread from house to house. They shared fellowship meals with each other in one another's homes. I encourage you. It's just that simple. Invite somebody over. You want to strengthen this church? You want to show, I, I love it when I hear little reports of, hey, I, we had this person over, or this person, or we went out to lunch with this. You think that's, that's not, that is ministry. When you break bread with somebody, you're entering into a covenant fellowship with them, communion with them. You're deepening your relationship with them. It's just that simple. In those moments, friendships are formed. Your life becomes richer. It becomes more fulfilling. And from my heart to yours as a pastor, our church becomes stronger and healthier doesn't it? Our church becomes stronger and healthy. And lastly today as I prepare to close, and I'm going to do something I didn't tell them, but as many of the worship team that can come back, let's come back. And let's go out with praise today. Lastly it says this and they praise God. Look at that. They praised God and they had favor with all the people. 
They had favor that God, they've just found themselves worshiping God. They live life with thankfulness. They live life with the gratitude. They live life with grace. They live life thanking God for His Son. They were thankful every day. They were thankful for one another. They were thankful for a, a, a fellowship that they were now a part of. They understood communion, and they understood uh, that they, they wanted to grow, so they set their hearts to grow in the knowledge of God. They set their heart to hear the Word of God. And I'm telling you, when you become a part of the body and you do more than just attend, there's a richness there's a healthiness that's released in your life. In my personal opinion, I say this as I'm preparing to close, you will not be complete without it. You can attend church for all these years and not be complete in your communion with God because God never designed you to attend church. He designed you to be woven into the church. And so now I hope that you understand that if that's all you do is attend, you're missing the mark. How many know there's much more? There's much more. There's much more. There's much more. Can I tell a story, Jojo? Can I, you know, I already said something earlier with, uh, about asking for, for, it was yesterday that I, I made a statement. I said, I've learned, you know, as people have said for many years, and sometimes it's easier to get... Um, Forgiveness than permission. So I'm going to do this with, I'm going to tell a story about Joe and Ann. Okay? All right, you ready, Joe and Ann? Sorry, I've got the microphone. Ann does too. Somebody mute her microphone. <laughs> we, were ta- we were talking about this coming back from uh, the preacher's meeting on, on Friday. We had a sectional council, all of us pastors. We introduced Jace to a little bit of the, of the boring side of the Assemblies of God. <laughs> And in doing so, we were talking, and it was fun to hear from those guys and talk. And we talked about a little moment in their past, in Joe and Ann's past. And that when they first came to our church, and Joe was just coming, Mama Glow, out of Walmart, moving back from Conway, and felt that call of God, and God led him to come up here and to help me in ministry. And it was, it was supernatural, because he wasn't far out of sinning. I mean, he was just barely out of heathenism. <laughs> just barely. He was out, but he wasn't far and, um, but he had been dating Ann, and, and so they, they had developed a relationship and everything. And so, and it looked like there for a while that, man, that thing was really deepening. And, and, and we'd gotten to know both of them. And so, you know, now it's easy to look back now, 15 years in the relationship we had, but it was all kind of new and to see it unfold and everything. And uh, strangely to all of us, JoJo broke up with Miss Ann. Now, I know that that's one of the great mysteries of the universe because, I mean, let's look here, okay? I mean, and I loved what, I loved what um, uh, Drew Brassfield told JoJo one time when they were teasing. He said, because Joe was, was kind of slamming on Drew a little bit, and he said, who are you? He said, you just broke up with Miss America here, people. So it was really funny, and so Ann came in. She was perplexed, and here's what Joe told me about it. He said, he said, I just, he said we, we, we just can't go to the next level. We just hadn't gone to the next level. He's kind of using that, mil- that, that, not military, but that kind of basketball. We need this next level. And I, I did tell him this, but it took him a while to receive it. You know what the next level was? It was called a ring. It was called communion. It was called coming together, come on, in a marriage. And now let me ask you, Miss Ann, is your life better because of Elijah and Josiah? 
And now those other four kids, Joe, is your life better? Is it more richer? Is it deeper? Do you get up in the morning with an esteem about yourself because you're a father? Because you've been blessed to be a blessing? You could have just went out there and just kept dating and attended. That's why I use terms like that. And I didn't mean to offend people a couple years ago. And I said, how long are you going to date the church? There's more. Their life is so much richer because they came together and formed a partnership. That was the next level. God blessed it. God rewarded them, rewarded their family. And now their family grows and grows and grows again. Now, church family, that's why I'm up here today. And that's why I, I believe I didn't think that up. It just fell in my heart. If that's all you're doing is attending church, you're missing the mark. There's more. There's more. But you have to determine. All the good programs in the world are useless unless you decide in your heart that you want to connect at a deeper, more intimate level to the church. I just shared a passage of Scripture with you. Your life can be richer. But look what can happen. Because they came together, God added to the church daily, daily. Because their lives became healthy. Their lives became fruitful. They shared the knowledge that they were learning, and it won other people to Jesus. Church family, determine in your heart, determine that you're not going to just attend this church, but you're going to partner with this church. Would y'all stand up?